Our reading this morning comes from Esther, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. If you're in need of a Bible this morning, you can look to the aisles or ushers are coming down and they have those available for you. And if you do not own a Bible at home or if you know somebody that needs one, you can take that with you. It's our gift to you today. If you have one of the Bibles, the ushers just handed out. We're on page 413 and you can follow along as I read. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. Let's pray. God, we give thanks for this morning and the ability to gather in this place, and I just ask that you would be with Pastor Mike as he preaches a sermon from your word. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church. If you're here today, uh, which you are, obviously, if you're here today, I'm just glad that you're here. I mean, it's obvious that you are here. Um, but if today is your first time here, I'm super excited to have you. I love it when people bring their friends to church. If, if you ever wonder, like, hey, does our pastor want us to bring our friends to church? The answer is yes. I want you to bring your friends to church. That's why we made a church here. It's, like, great to have them. So uh, if I've never met you, I'd love to do that. And so here's a couple of ways we can do it. Uh, the first is, like, the easiest way. I'm going to be out in the courtyard after church. I'd love to shake your hands, fist bump, uh, learn your name, whatever you're into. Uh, Another way that you can do it, uh, something like a little bit less in your face, text me. uh, 602-763-3331. Be happy to connect with you that way. And then kind of the third way, and Jordan will tell us more about this at the end of service, but we have these connect cards. If you'll fill that out and turn this in at the info table, uh, I'll reach out to you this week. So, Um, Here's the question. Sometimes you just start a sermon by asking a question. And the question this morning is this. What do you believe in enough to do something about it? What is it that you believe in enough that you'll do something about it, that it'll frame your life, that it'll change your life, that that it'll mold your life? What is it like that? Like, What is it that you believe in enough to do something about it? I mean, what do you believe in enough that you'll just really do something about it. You see, there's a lot of things that I believe in that I'm not willing to do much about at all. There's a lot of things I believe. Like, if you just want to know, like, well, where does Mike stand on this kind of thing? Like, I'll tell you, like, what I believe in. But it's not like that I would do much about it. For example, I believe every single parent should have to experience strawberry picking with their kids. And because I believe that, whenever I know somebody that's going out of town to Carlsbad, California, I tell them, you should take your kids to the strawberry uh, picking farm. Because this is what happens when you go there. You go there and you pay You pay them them to pick their strawberries, and then you pay for the strawberries that you picked. So you pay them to be the labor, and then you pay them for the material. It's fascinating. I think it's a really fun experience that everybody should do, and I believe you should do that, but I don't believe it enough that I'm going to make you all go. Like, you're not getting an assignment today. Go pick strawberries. I'm not going to do that. Here's something else I believe in. I believe in that the Goods Donut Shop, also in Carlsbad, California, has the best donuts in the world. No offense to the Lamars. We had some Lamars today out here. Very, very nice. Janine and her team bring those in. Very, very good. But the Goods Donut, they have fantastic donuts. And if I know anybody going to Southern California, just like the Humphreys did last week, I will, I'll tell them, you should go to this donut shop. And if they happened to bring some home for me, I would have eaten them, which they didn't. They did not. If you wonder if they did the right thing, no, they didn't. I believe that they didn't do the right thing, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to kick them out of the church or anything like that. I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm not going to ridicule them in front of the whole church body or anything like that, but 
but I, so I don't believe enough to do something about it. Here's something else. I believe that Toff's Dairy in Sandusky, Ohio, has the very best ice cream. This is a picture of Courtney uh, two-fisting the ice cream from there. I think they have the best ice cream in the world. But I don't believe that enough that I'm unwilling to eat other ice cream. I mean, I will allow myself to partake in other lesser ice cream than Toff's. I just believe that they have the best. And of course, there are many other things I believe in. For example, I just wonder, like, I wonder what kind of things my pastor believes in. Here's some things I believe in. I believe that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. I mean, I just, I just believe it. I'm, there's no way. I just like, I just don't, I'm just sorry. I don't, I don't, I believe that there are not UFOs. Like, I don't, I don't believe in them. I'm sorry if you do. I, I'm not against that. I just don't. I believe that pineapple is fine on pizza, but why would you do it when there's pepperoni there? Like, I, like I'm, I'm okay with it, but why, why? I mean, I'm not against it. I'm just, like, not, like, overly for it. I believe that every Star Wars movie has a unique part to play in the canon, so there's value in every episode and every character, including Jar Jar Binks. So don't at me. Like, that's something I believe. But I'm, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I believe all of this, but I'm not compelled to do much about any of these beliefs. These are just some things that I will hold loosely. These are beliefs that I hold loosely. And as I think about my life, I know that there are things that I will hold very loosely to in my beliefs, and then there are things that I will hold very firmly to in my beliefs, because here is the thing. I also believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived the perfect life that I never could. I believe that he died the horrific death that I deserved, that I deserved, that I earned. I believe he walked right out of the grave, that Jesus was literally dead and then literally walked right out of the grave. I believe it so much that I literally tell everyone I can about it. I I do that. I tell my friends, my family. I tell my Uber drivers. I tell all the people that I'm ever around about Jesus and what he did for me. I believe that. I believe it so much that I I made sure that my kids knew it and I prioritized it over everything else. It's not that we didn't have our kids do other things. It is the most important thing that our kids are going to know is that Jesus loves them. That's what we did. We wrapped our lives around it. I believe it so much that I, along with some of you, planted a church right here where there did not used to be one for the exact purpose of telling people about Jesus. That's what we're doing here. That's why we have a church here, so that we can tell people that don't know, know Jesus that there is a Jesus and that we can come together every week and be reminded that there is a Jesus. I've never seen Jesus with my actual eyes, but I have enough faith in him and his gospel that I have leveraged every single part of my life to make him known. I've leveraged every single part of my life to make him known. This church and this mission that we're on to see the valley transformed by the power of the gospel gets my best time every week, it gets my best money every week, and it gets my best talents every week. That's what this church gets because this is important and I believe in this to such a way that it compels my life. It gives me faith that I have to act. I have to do something with this belief. And as we're continuing our series today through the book of Esther, we will see that she has faith to act. Something needs to be done. Something radical needs to be done. We're going to study this in a second, but Esther, you should just know, it finds herself in a situation where something radical has to get done. Something that very well could get her killed, and yet she still has to act. Church, this is what I want you to know this morning. God gives us faith to act. God gives us the faith to act, to go, to do, to do things. It is a verb. It is, it, is, it is compelling to go and do stuff. And we get that faith 
from God. In last week's text, we learned an evil plot has been conceived to kill all of God's chosen people, the Jewish people. They are on a particular day. They're going to all die. That's what's going to happen. An edict has come down from the king to kill people. There's an evil person named Haman. He's come up with an idea to get rid of Mordecai and Esther and all these people, all the Jewish people, and that's what's supposed to happen. And Esther has been made queen, and she has access to the king. Esther's uncle Mordecai has asked Esther to go to the king and ask for his decision to be overturned. And Esther has asked Mordecai and all of her people for the past three days. She said, hey, I want you to just have everybody fast for three days, a period of time to fast and pray before I go to the king. She's decided that she needs to act. She needs to go to the king, even though she knows that just by going to the king, the king will have every right to kill her. This is unbelievable faith. This is exemplary faith. This is a faith that acts, a faith that says, I will put my trust in God, and I will go with God and trust the results to him. And so in this text today, we see in this text that faith in God does at least three things. If we'll have faith in God and in his son Jesus Christ, it will do at least three things in Esther's life and it will do at least three things in our life. It will enable action, faith will drive action, and faith will require action. The first one is this, faith enables action. It enables it. Your faith will enable you to go do those things that you're not sure you can do. Look what Esther Esther does here. It's in verses 1 and 2. It says, on the third day. Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner circle of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. I want us to recognize something that without the historical context, we might well miss. This thing that Esther does is extremely dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. It is against the law to go before the king and not do so at his invitation. She is, in, like in real ways, she is taking her life in her hands just by standing in the doorway. This isn't like, well, she was just, she didn't do anything big here. She does something huge here. This is unbelievable faith because she just goes and stands in the doorway. The king could well have killed her for this. You see, you're not supposed to go to the king unless he calls you. And we will remember that he just got rid of a queen, so it's not like he's afraid to do it. By standing there, waiting to talk to the king, Esther is risking her life. So where does she get the strength to do it? Where does she get the strength to do it? Where does she find the nerve to go and stand before the king, even though she hasn't been invited? What is it that strengthens her spine to stand there and wait for the king to either recognize her or have her killed? Well, the answer is that Esther has faith. She has faith. It's the same faith that directed a three-day fast for all of her people to pray and prepare for this moment. The same faith that said, I will go to the king to do my part to save my people, and if I perish, I perish. Last week, we looked at the text that said, she just said to Mordecai, hey, I'm going to do this thing, and if I perish, I perish. This is a faith that enables action, a faith that is fueled by action. It is the faith in God that gives her the nerve to act, and it is the faith in God that will give you and I the nerve to act. Church, I know that you're doing hard things out there. I know that you're doing 
hard things. You are living as missionaries in a broken world, and it's hard. You are living as people who know the gospel of Jesus, living in this broken world where you're supposed to go out and make him known. And I get that that is hard. I get how difficult it is to be a Christian right now in this world. It is difficult and it is hard. You're living in relationships where more grace is needed than you may have imagined and you are giving it away. Maybe this week you have found that you're in a relationship and you're just realizing like, man, this is just going to require more grace than I thought I was going to give out. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with other people at church and you're just realizing like, oh my gosh, I'm, like, I'm going to need a lot more grace because a lot more grace is going to be required in this relationship. You are dealing with sickness and financial hardships and it's hard. And all of these things are hard. Some of you are raising children, little sinners, these little sinning children. And I know these kids. I've said this before. Some of these babies would kill you if they had the power to do it. Like, they would just kill you. They would kill you. I, I've seen them. I know that there is a kid in this church that doesn't want to do tummy time, and his parents are making him do tummy time. And if that kid could rain hell down on his parents, he would do it, right? Good for you. Stick with it. Tummy time's important. It's hard stuff. These things that you're doing are hard. All of these things are hard, and yet a faith in God enables you to continue to press on, to, as Paul says, press on towards the goal, to, as Paul says, not grow weary of doing good. It is faith that enables this. Like, where do we get the power to do this? Where is our energy supply from? Like, what do we do? Like, where does this come from? It comes from faith. You see, it's faith in God that enables the action to live out that faith. This faith in God enables the action to live out that faith. But faith doesn't just enable action. Faith drives action. It pushes us. It compels us. It, it, it gives us direction for where to go. Listen to what the text says in verses 3 through 8. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. It is faith that's driving this action. It is faith that's driving it. Faith is driving Esther to speak to the king. Faith uh, gave her the power to stand there in front of the room and wait for him to, to acknowledge her. And then now that he has, she has faith to go to him. And he says, well, what is it that you want? And she says, well, I want you to come to this feast because I want to kind of tell you about some stuff. This takes a lot of faith. She could have just been like, nothing, king. I didn't want anything. I just wanted to say hi. Nice to see you. Have a good day. Right? Because she realizes she's getting ready to ask for something really, really big. It's faith that drives this. It's driving her. This, I think sometimes it's easy to have faith in the quick moment. Like for, for her to just stand in that room like, okay, if I could just have like 20 seconds of faith, I'll be okay. But she doesn't just need 20 seconds of faith. She needs a lot more than that. She needs the faith to stand there. She needs the faith to talk to him. She needs the faith to bring him to this banquet. She needs the faith to tell him there, hey, this is what's going to go on. She's going to need a lot more than 20 seconds of faith. And so are you and I. But this faith that she has is driving this action. It's driving her to invite the king and Haman to this feast. I want you to know something. It is faith that is pushing Esther to do the actions that she's doing. And we can look all throughout God's 
Scripture, we can look all throughout the Bible, and we've been talking about this, how this is really just, it, it's a whole story with all these different characters, and it's all a story about God and for God and all that, but we see so many people in here that are remembered because of their faith. It was faith that drove Noah to build an ark even before it began to rain. Can you imagine the faith that it takes to tell people we need to build a boat? Why? Because God's going to flood the earth. Well, it's not raining. I know. Let's build one anyway. That takes a lot of faith to do that, to believe that, to let that drive your life. Faith that drove Abraham up that mountain to sacrifice the son that he and his wife had begged for. Faith that drove Moses into Egypt to speak to Pharaoh. Faith that drove Ruth to help redeem her mother-in-law. Faith that drove Esther to do all these things. Faith that drove Paul all over the place, planting churches and sharing the gospel. Faith drives people's actions for God. Church, there's things that we do that don't make a lick of sense if there's no God. This thing that we do on Sunday morning, if Jesus Christ didn't really walk out of the grave, is the most time-consuming, expensive habit that I've ever had. Like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? There's people that get here at 8 o'clock in the morning to start unloading trailers, moving stuff around, setting it up. There's people running over, making coffee, doing all kinds of things. And if Jesus didn't walk right out of the grave, there's better crap to do on Sunday mornings. But if Jesus walked right out of the grave, we have to do this. It drives all this. It makes all this make sense. I get worked up. It's faith in God that drives the action to live out that faith. But faith does not just empower and drive action. Faith demands action. Faith literally demands action. This is what it says in the text 7, 1 through 6. It says, So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people, for my request, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Asherah said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Esther's faith demanded she do something. It required her to do something. Her faith that God was sovereign demanded that she trust him enough to go do that which she knew she was supposed to do. Her faith that the Jews were his people, the faith that God was in control, all of it demanded action. To truly believe in something, it will demand something of your life. In this case, it demanded that she risk her life. She can't just walk around and act like she doesn't know that this horrible thing is about to happen to all of her people. She has to do something about it. And so she leverages all that she had and all that she was to do her part to save these people. James says that faith without works is dead. That to believe something but not to act on that belief is worthless. 
It's worthless. Esther believed her people were in danger. Esther believed that God could help her go to the king. Esther believed that she was in her position for such a time as this. But all of those beliefs without action would have accomplished nothing. Would have accomplished nothing. She wouldn't get to be part of God's story. And I don't think we'd be studying her life now. Have you ever believed in something so strongly that you just had to do it? Have you ever believed in something so strongly that no matter what it cost, no matter what it meant, you just had to do it? When Penny and I were praying about and thinking about starting this church, we were just meeting in our house with a couple of friends. There's, there's six of us. We're sitting in a room, and I'm like, I think we have to do this. I feel really called to do this. We need to make a church here. There's a community here where there's a lot of people that don't know Jesus, and I think the best way to reach them is to make a church, to do this thing. And, and we started looking at it, and we knew it was going to be really, really, really hard. It's going to be really hard. Some of you were in those uh, initial meetings in my house. Adam reminds me of this all the time. You told us it would be hard, but I don't know if you conveyed how hard it would be, right? Like, Adam, I'm sorry, it's hard. I, I meant really hard, right? If I only said really, really, I meant really, really, really. This is a hard thing to do. And so as we were getting ready and we're looking at stuff and we're, and we're trying to plan it out and figure out how to make the money work and where are we going to rent space and how are we going to do this and who's going to be on the team, in the middle of all that, we went to this thing called assessment. We go and we, we got interviewed. Penny and I got interviewed by people that were trying to figure out like, hey, are you going to be able to do this or not? And one of the things that they kept saying to us, at least on three separate occasions, three different people said this phrase, and I started getting really aggravated by it, but he literally, they, they would say, hey, if you can do anything other than plant that church, you should go do it. Like, if you can do anything else, and I'm like, well, we could do lots of other stuff. What are you talking about? I could do whatever I want. Like, what are you talking about? And then I finally started realizing what they were saying. If I could do anything else meant that if there was something else I was willing to do other than follow God's call in my life to plant this church, that we should go do that because this was going to be exceedingly difficult. But it's like, we're, they're, they're, like we had to do it. Like, we've had to do it. We've had to figure it out because this is what God has asked us to do. This is what our faith is demanding us to do. This is the faith that we, like we have in God that we're supposed to follow him. And so it's requiring us to do this thing even though it's really hard. Faith will demand you do difficult stuff. It's going to demand that you go do hard things. That's what it happens when you follow God closely. You're going to be demanded to get outside of your comfort zone, to go places that you don't necessarily want to go to, to go do things that are not easy or comfortable. That's what happens when you have faith in God. I cannot imagine how uncomfortable Esther must have felt for this period of time when she has to go and stand before the king, ask him to come to the banquet, have a banquet with him and Haman for a couple of days, and then finally lay out this horrible plot and, hey, like, here's my request, don't kill my people. This must have been horribly uncomfortable. But faith will require that you take action. Faith will require, it will demand action. You can't say, I believe in Jesus, and then not believe in any of the things that he said to do. Some of the things he said to do are really, really hard. They demand action. It's faith in God that requires the action to live out that faith. And so we could see it here in Esther, and I've shared a little bit about it in my life, but what about you? What about you? What is your faith enabling you to do? What is your faith driving you to do? What is your faith requiring you to do? I mean, church, do you have 
Faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have faith that God made the world and it was beautiful? Do you have the faith that man sinned and broke it? That the worst part of that brokenness is that it separated God and man. That God loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us in that separated state. Do you have faith? Do you truly believe that Jesus came here and lived the perfect life that you and I could never live? Do you have the faith to truly believe that Jesus Christ died the horrific death that you and I deserved? Do you have the faith to believe that Jesus defeated that death so that everyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him? Do you have faith like that? Because if you do, if you truly do, it will enable you, it will drive you, and it will make demands on your life. It will make unbelievable demands on your life to do things that other people will look at and say, why are you doing that? Because I believe. To do what? What is it that Jesus has asked us to do? Jesus gave us the most clear mission statement of all mission statements. Jesus told us exactly what we're supposed to be doing until he comes back. It's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. When we were trying to figure out what we were going to name our church, Natalie said we should name it something to do with mission because this is the most quoted scripture at our church. And I'm so thankful that this is the most quoted scripture at our church because I think this is central to every single thing we believe in. And if you haven't memorized it yet, just keep listening listening. Here it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus said, go teach, baptize. That's what he said. What are we supposed to be doing until Jesus comes back? Go teach, baptize. What should Jesus do or what should he find us doing when he shows back up? Going, teaching, baptizing. Church, this is what I want you to know. Faith in, faith in Jesus enables you to go teach, baptize. It literally gives you the power to do it. You will say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm scared. And I would say, yes, so is Esther and so is whoever told you about Jesus. But faith enables action. It is faith in Jesus that will enable you to go teach, baptize. You don't go under your own power. You go with Holy Spirit power in you. It is enabling you to go. Those days when you're like, I don't know exactly how to do this. I don't know how to go talk to these people. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to get the energy to figure this out. I don't know how I'm going to get up on, on, on Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and be here with the facilities team and set up this room. I don't know how I'm going to do that. It is the faith in Jesus that will enable it. It is faith in him that provides you the Holy Spirit power that you need to get this done. It enables you. It is Christ in you that gives you power. It is Christ in you that gives direction to your feet to go, teach, and baptize. But it doesn't just enable you, it directs you. Faith in Jesus directs you to go, teach, and baptize. I know you sometimes wonder where it is you're supposed to go. I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, I don't know exactly where I'm supposed to go. It's faith in Jesus that will direct you. The good news is that you can literally go to everybody because Jesus can actually save anybody. But if you don't know where to go, just pray to Jesus and ask him, where would you have me go today? What would happen if you would wake up every day and say, Jesus, go before me and direct me where you would have me go? 
Jesus, where is it that you would have me go today? What is it that you would have me do with my life today? Jesus, it's about 5.30 in the morning and I'm probably gonna go to bed at 10 o'clock tonight. What would you have me do today? Allow him to direct your life. Instead of trying to fit Jesus somewhere into your life, allow him to direct it. Jesus, just take my life and do with it what you will. Faith will direct that. But finally, faith in Jesus demands that you go teach and baptize. Look, here's the thing that I think we all need a reminder of. Jesus' direction to go teach and baptize was not a suggestion. It was a command. It was a directive. It's the thing that we're supposed to be doing. It's not one of the things that we're supposed to be doing. It is the thing. Think about it like this. If Jesus were to just stop in sometime next week and say, hey, how's it going? Like, hey, how's it going? He wouldn't be asking you how things are going at work. He wouldn't be asking you how, like, your hobbies are. He wouldn't be asking you how's your 401k growing. He would literally be saying, how are you doing at going, teaching, baptizing? Where have you gone? Who are you teaching? And who's the last person you baptized? That's what he would be asking. If Jesus were just to come down tomorrow and be like, hey, how's it going? That's what he would be asking you. How's it going with the going, the teaching, and the baptizing? I really only ask you to do that. Go teach, baptize. How are you doing with it? Well, I'm doing pretty good on the house remodel. Well, I didn't ask about the house remodel. I don't care about the house remodel. Well, I'm doing pretty good with like my 401k. I got like, what? You're what? You're what? I don't care about that. Jesus doesn't care about that. That's not what he asked us to do. Go, teach, baptize. And if you have faith, it will demand action. Because here's the thing. If you truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and that you truly believe that the only way to get to heaven is through him, it will demand you go out and tell people about it. You will just be uneasy with the fact that you are walking around with people that don't know that they are in danger of spending eternity separated from God. If you truly believe this, it will demand things in your life. So church, how's your faith? How's your faith? Do you believe? Do you believe enough to act? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you of the examples of people all throughout your story who had faith to act. God, we ask that you would give us faith to act. That even this week, God, that you would give us the faith to go, to teach, to baptize, to do those things that we know we are to do, to allow ourselves to be used by you for such a time as this. And God, if there's anybody in the room today that's never believed in you, I just simply ask that you would give them the faith to believe. That you would give them the faith to believe that you sent your son down here to die for them because you love them that much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey.
I'm going to ask you to have a seat for just a second. A uh, couple of really big things going on, and so the first one is this. Uh, I want to ask Alfie and Ruby to just come over here. Uh, as you know, uh, just a couple of months ago, we made Alfie uh, an elder here. Uh, we commissioned him as an elder, and we're so happy for it. Um, and we also know that God placed a call on his life uh, to be open to his calling. Uh, he gave him a faith that would demand action in his life. And as it happened, uh, there was a church in Kentucky that needed a pastor. And so they asked Alfie if he would come out and, and do that. And Alfie and Ruby are going to do that. This is their last Sunday with us, but we are not, we're not like losing them. We are sending them to Kentucky where they're going to do a fantastic work for the gospel. They're going to preach the gospel. Uh, and this is what's really going to be cool. Um, this is like just a really cool thing uh, just to see how we're all just, we have a part to play in God's story. And people come in and out of our lives at different times. Um, the very first adult Bible study I ever taught, I, I taught with Alfie in it. Uh, then we get to be elders here for a little while together. And now we get to be pastors together because he's going uh, to actually preach through the same text that we're going to preach through. And so Alfie and I are going to get to work together to, to plan sermons together and all that kind of stuff. And I think our two churches are going to be tied together. And I think that's going to be fun uh, to think about that. So uh, we're going to pray for Alfie and Ruby uh, uh, right now uh, as a church. Um, we're just so thankful for both of you. Uh, I asked, I asked Ruby. I said, "Well, what do you think? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do? You're just going to like just pick up and move to Kentucky?" And she said, "Well, yeah, because like we're we're called to go. That's where we'll go. Where Alfie's called to go, that's where we'll go. Uh, this unbelievable faith, faith that says, yeah, we're just going to pick up and move across the country, right? Uh, fantastic. Uh, let us pray for you." God, we do thank you for Alfie and Ruby. We thank you for this sweet time that we've had together here. Uh, we're thankful that they are going to follow you on your mission to go to Kentucky, uh, to, to lead this church, to shepherd this church, to love these people, to tell people in that area about you. Uh, we're so thankful uh, for their willingness to to act on the faith that you have given them, uh, the, their willingness to allow the faith in you that they have to drive and direct and demand these things on their life. And we're thankful that we get to be a small part of it. We ask that you go before Alfie and Ruby, that you, uh, that you are there for their family uh, in the absence that they leave here, and yet, Lord, that you use them mightily uh, where they're going. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you both. Uh, you can say uh, bye to Alfie and Ruby. They're going to be out in the lobby. Uh, we, we ask you to sit for just another minute because we got a, a video we want to show you uh, what's going on. We're going to talk a little bit more about this thing that's happening in kids' ministry right now. So go ahead and roll that video. My name is Michelle, and I have three daughters who serve or have attended Mission Valley Kids Ministry, and I also work in Mission Valley Kids. We are looking forward to the upcoming series that Jen has put together, the I Wonder series. It will be for the entire month of August, and it's a great time to invite your friends. As a mom, I love having um, a place where my kids can go, be themselves, have a bad day, and still be loved, and learn about Jesus. And I love being able to grow in my faith and also help my kids grow in their faith in partnership with the other parents. We look forward to seeing you and all the friends you invite. As we answer all the questions that come up, we will be growing their faith alongside with ours. So invite your friends to Mission Valley Church through the entire month of August for our new series, I Wonder. So here's the thing I, I want you to understand is that kids are a really, really big deal. And, and I just want to tell you uh, uh, real quickly why. Um, if you look at uh, the Bible, and I'll just show you kids, you can see this here. This is my Bible, uh, and you can see that I, I'll highlight stuff that I really want to remember. And if I really think it's really important, I'll highlight it and then circle it. You see something right there that's highlighted and circled? Can you see that? Right. This is what it says right there. Uh, this is Jesus talking. Jesus said this. He said, 
um, uh, talking about this. It says, Then the children were brought to him, brought to Jesus, that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, this is what Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. If you wonder what Jesus thinks about kids, Jesus loves kids. Jesus thinks kids are super important. And so what we do at church, we want to make it really fantastic for kids. And so we're doing this amazing series called I Wonder. Um, but I also remembered this morning because somebody brought it to my attention that tomorrow is the first day of school for a lot of people. And so this is what I want you to do. If you are going to school tomorrow, if you are a, uh, a student and very good. Or, or this week or soon this year, if you are a student or a teacher or an administrator or a faculty member, if you have anything to do with schools, will you just come down here real quick to the front? Everybody just come down here very, very quickly. Give me all the teachers. Give me all the, give me all the, the students. Give me all the administrators. Look at all. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. You could tell this is a church that loves kids when this many people at this church are going to be doing this. Hey, this is what I want you to know. Uh, kids... And adults that are working with kids, this is what I want you to know. Kids, uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. That's who the kingdom of heaven is for. Jesus loves you that much. And so when you go into your classrooms this week, next week, soon, whenever it is, when you go into school, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He's there with you. You don't go by yourself. And those of you that are adults that have the privilege of working with kids, I want you to remember that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like these. And so you are Jesus in your classroom to these kids, to these adults, to these teenagers. Oh my gosh, you're doing such a fantastic job. I want you to know that your church is for you, your church loves you, and we want to pray for you right now. So church, will you just stand up real quick and let's pray for these kids, for these teachers, for these administrators. Um, for all these people that are going to be working with and in schools. Lord God, we know that right now in the world, it is a scary time uh, in the world. It is a broken world and there's a lot of problems in it. And Lord, we know that sometimes it can be scary even going to school. And so we ask that you would remind every one of these kids that as they walk into their classrooms, that you are there with them. We ask that you would remind every one of these adults that the children, the students, the young people that they're going to be working with this year are those for whom you said the kingdom of heaven belongs. God, we ask your blessing on everything that's going to happen this year, that kids, that students, that administrators, that parents would have a fantastic year, and that through the witness of people like these, you would be made known. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.